last time we were together, we considered the ascension of Christ and really just gave a brief summary of the ascension of Christ, what it is and its importance, right? And essentially, when we talk about the ascension of Christ, what we're talking about is that Jesus Christ went to heaven. After he resurrected from the dead, after 40 days, he went to heaven. And I mentioned in the beginning of our lesson that it's interesting how um, we... Not to say that we have to, but we don't put much emphasis on the ascension as we do with the death and with the resurrection, resurrection and even with the birth of Jesus Christ. And I think it's for us, in order to understand uh, what Christ has done for us, the totality of Christ's work for us, we need to understand um, and put on the top shelf the, res- the ascension of Christ. Um, and also, too, subsequent to that, the second coming of Christ, because Christ is going to come again. Um, so we looked at the ascension of Christ and basically what it is and how it's important for us to know that doctrine. Now we're going to get a little bit into uh, the weeds of things. And, and remember, I told you um, we're going to get a little bit to the, the forest and look at some of the leaves and things like that. And uh, some of the the more um, you know, technical things that the ascension teaches us. And what I'm going to argue um from now to when I'm done with the Ascension, which is probably going to be in in February, is that uh, when Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, it wasn't a completion of his work, uh, but rather it was an extension of his work to where Jesus Christ not only is prophet, priest, and king, in his earthly life, but also he extends that work as prophet, priest, and king as he sits at the right hand of God. And he operates as prophet, priest, and king. And this is important. Jesus Christ, as he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, he operates as prophet, priest, and king through his church. Okay? That's essentially what I'm, I'm going to argue. And we're going to dissect each office of Christ. Christ being prophet, priest, and king. So again... When Christ ascended on high, his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king didn't end. But rather, he continues that office of prophet, priest, and king through his church. Um, I had a really, really good analogy to this. Um, and it was a North Korean analogy. <laughs> um, but it's probably going to confuse every single one. Um, because they think that the the first ruler of North Korea is still ruling and he rules through his sons. Okay. Um, so you can kind of think of it where Christ, his office as prophet, priest and king, um, he is, he is still ongoing that office, but in a greater way through his church. Okay. When we consider the similarities and differences between Adam and Jesus Christ, and we, there, there's a bunch of similarities and, and dissimilarities between Adam and Christ, one of the similarities is the threefold office that each carry. Okay? So if you were to say, what is similar between Adam and Christ? One similarity can be a threefold office that each carry. Adam in the garden held a threefold office. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. So Adam in the garden was a prophet, was a priest, and a king. But when Adam sinned, the threefold office that Adam carried plunged us down a threefold state. Again, 
when Adam sinned in the garden, the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king plunged us down a threefold state. And what I mean by that is this. Adam, as a prophet, was to speak on the behalf of God. That's what prophets do. But when Adam sinned, one of the byproducts of that, with respect to us, is now we are ignorant of God's word. Okay? That is why we can't look out into the cosmos and see a trinity. Right? That is why when the word of God is preached to us, when we are in Adam, it falls on deaf ears. Unless the spirit equips us to understand. So Adam as a prophet was to speak on the behalf of God. When Adam sinned, what happens to us? Now we're, we're ignorant of God's word. We don't know God's word. Um, when Adam sinned, Adam as a priest was to guard the garden. Okay, He was not to allow any sin to enter the garden. But when Adam sinned in the garden, what happens to us? Now, he allowed sin to enter into our hearts. So again, as a priest, he was to protect the garden. In a lot of ways, protect us. And But when he sinned, though, now sin has entered into our hearts. Okay, just as the serpent entered into the garden, sin enters into our hearts. And Adam, as the king, was to rule God's people. But when Adam sinned, he allowed sin to rule over us. Okay, so Adam was to rule over God's people. When he sinned, he now allowed sin to have reign and dominion over us. Okay, this is why saints Jesus needed to be a prophet, priest, and king. This is why Jesus had to be a prophet, priest, and king. Not because Adam was merely a prophet, priest, and king. But in order for us to be undone in that threefold state, Christ had to undertake prophet, priest, and king. In order to undo the triple curse, as John Calvin would say, of sin, Adam uh, brought upon mankind. Jesus had to hold on to a threefold office. Herman Bobbick explains, he had to be a prophet. So why did Christ have to be a prophet? To know and to disclose the truth of God, to teach us the word of God rightly. He had to be a priest to devote himself to God in our place and to offer himself up to God and a king to govern and protect us according to God's will. So Christ is a prophet or as a prophet, he teaches us God's word. He does what Adam didn't do, and that is teach God's word. Okay, as a priest, he offers a perfect sacrifice to reconcile us to the father. And as a king. He leads our hearts and conquers our enemies. And for our study today and next next time we're together, we will focus on Christ as a prophet, Christ as a prophet, and specifically how his office of prophet is connected to his ascension. How is the office of prophet connected to Christ ascending on high? Is there any connection there between him as a prophet, um, teaching God's word, and him ascending to the right hand of the Father. And I would say yes. When Jesus walked on earth, on the earth, how did the people see him? How did they view Christ? Well, there's many ways people view Jesus Christ and many opinions that people had of Christ. But among the many things the people of Christ, they said about him, one of the primary concepts that arose in the mind of, of people when they looked at Christ was Christ is a prophet. 
the people viewed Christ as a prophet. And we see that the gospel writers betray Jesus Christ as a prophet from the beginning and end of their writings. And I see one of the clearest examples of this is seen in all the four gospels testimony of John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist, in an, in an, in an implicit way, um, what the gospel writers are doing is, is telling us uh, that Jesus Christ is a prophet. John the Baptist, we can say, is the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And one of the distinct roles that John the Baptist shares with Christ is the office of prophet. So is there a link between John the Baptist and Christ? Yes. What's the link? Well, one of them is they're both prophets. Okay? They're both prophets. John the Baptist performed the actions of a prophet. Um, he dressed as a prophet. Uh, the crowd and the disciples identified him as a prophet. And Jesus even correlated John the Baptist with other prophets. You see, for the gospel writers, John the prophet prepared the way for Jesus the prophet. John was the last of the old covenant prophets, while Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets of old. Jesus is the, the final reality of all the Old Testament prophets. But as well as John the Baptist foreshadowing Christ, who is the true prophet, Jesus affirmed out of his own mouth that he was a prophet. He says in Matthew thirteen fifty seven. And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 and looked uh, and said, saying, The Spirit had anointed him to be a herald of God's good news. Heralding God's good news is a function of the prophet. That's what they do. And when Jesus healed a dead man, the crowd glorified him, saying, uh, A great prophet, in Luke 7, 16, A great prophet has risen among us. Um, when Jesus asked the disciples what the people thought they, uh, of him uh, in Matthew 16, 14, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. All of this is to say that and I, don't get lost in all of this, that Jesus was a prophet. If you're taking notes that Christ was a prophet and he was a prophet in the sense of not only did he speak the words of God, but he was the final fulfillment and true prophet. All the, all the, again, all the Old Testament shadows were pointing to this one final perfect prophet. This now leads us to the role of prophets in the Old Testament. If one was to ask you, okay, so what does a prophet do? Uh, many of us in our background might think, well, a prophet performs miracles. And that's all they do. But saints, we aren't to think that the only thing prophets do, um, is do miracles. Uh, but rather, the prophets hold a threefold office, okay? Or there's a threefold function to prophets. This is the threefold task of a prophet. Prophets were empowered by the Spirit, proclaim the Word of God, and perform signs and wonders. Again, prophets, in order to be true prophets, and were empowered by God's Spirit, proclaim the word of God, and perform signs and wonders. Let's quickly break these down. Number one, prophets were empowered by the Spirit. Uh, we see this example first in the life of Adam, and Adam in the garden was a prophet. But there's much debate on whether Adam had the Holy Spirit. And I think it's fair for us to say that 
in order for Adam to obtain a supernatural gift, he needed to have supernatural assistance. In order for him to earn the creator's Sabbath rest, he could not do that as a natural man. But he needed a supernatural gift, a super added gift, which would be the Holy Spirit. We see in Numbers 11, 17, the spirit rested on Moses. The Lord says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59, 21. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you. And my words that I have put on your mouth. When the Lord spoke to Ezekiel, it says in Ezekiel chapter two, verse two, the spirit entered into him. All I'm giving you now is just basically biblical evidence that prophets had the spirit. That's all I'm doing. In Daniel four, it says Daniel had the spirit of holy God. Okay. And then finally in Micah, um, Micah says in Micah three, uh, eight, that the spirit of the Lord filled him. So all of this is to say that prophets were those who were given the spirit to perform various tasks on God's behalf, on God's behalf. Okay. Secondly, prophets proclaimed the word of God. Prophets were to be truth tellers. They were to deliver the messages of God and they were to have a hundred percent accuracy. Um, that's, that's might be helpful for those out there who have family members that think that there's still prophets in the land. Um, no, there is not. When Moses was called by God, what happens when we, in Exodus four? He hesitated, right? And he said that he's not eloquent of speech. He's not equipped. But God tells him that God, he will speak through him. The same can be said of Jeremiah, where it says in Jeremiah chapter one, the Lord touched Jeremiah's mouth and gave him words to speak. When the Lord called Samuel in first Samuel three nineteen, it says the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And Isaiah 6, burning coals touched Isaiah's mouth and was told to speak God's words to the people of Israel. Again, all of this is to say that a, a, the portrait of a prophet must begin with their speaking vocation. I think we tend to think, no, a prophet only does miracles and that's it. But rather, we must begin with the function of a prophet. What they do is they speak on the behalf of God. Okay. <clears throat> prophets spoke a message of both hope and judgment. They pronounced blessings to the nations that they stay loyal, but woes to those nations that they began to worship other gods of other nations. Now let's consider the third trait of a prophet, which is prophets performed signs and wonders. As many of us know, the first prophet that comes to mind is Moses, uh, who performed many signs uh, and wonders. The prophet Elijah caused uh, the rain to cease. He raised a widow's son. He provided food for the starving, called down fire from heaven and parted the Jordan. Elisha resurrected the Shulamite son and caused the Syrian army to go blind only to give them sight again. So prophets not only proclaim the word of God, but they confirm God's word by doing signs and wonders, by doing miracles. These three traits uh, which characterize a prophet is what marked out their ministry. They had the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. They spoke on the behalf of God, and they performed signs and wonders. Now, I want you to hold on if you can. It's going to be tough because we're not going to talk about this for another three weeks, but... 
hold on to that that threefold function of a prophet, empowered by the Spirit, spoken on the behalf of God, before our signs and wonders. We see that this threefold function of a prophet was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Is Christ empowered by the Spirit? Indeed, he is at his baptism, just as prophets were empowered by the Spirit. Right? So we see the heavens open up, the Spirit descends upon Christ as a dove. Prophets also spoke on the uh, spoke on the behalf of God. They spoke God's words. Well, you can't get any better than the God man, Jesus Christ. Right? Where Christ is always telling the people, Have you not read? Thus it is said. He's oh he just the word of God is just just comes out of him. It's so natural to him. And also, too, we know that Christ performed miracles, which authenticated that he was a prophet. So, um so, not only do we see these prophets uh, have a link to Christ, who was a true and the fulfillment of the prophet, but we also see these prophets, in, in some scenarios, they foreshadow Christ's ascension. They foreshadow Christ's ascension. So not only is there a link between the Old Testament prophets and them being empowered by the Spirit, um, preaching the word of God, speaking on the behalf of God, performing signs and wonders, and what Christ does, because we see that in Christ's life, but also in certain scenarios and situations, they foreshadow Christ's ascension to heaven. Okay? For example, uh, in the Garden of Eden, Eden was set on the top of a mountain. Ezekiel confirms this when he calls the Garden of Eden uh, the Garden when he calls when he calls Eden the Garden of God and the Holy Mountain of God in Ezekiel twenty eight, Joel two speaks of Mount Zion as like the Garden of Eden. So Eden was placed on the top of a mountain. So based off of that, we can say that Adam and Eve, when they received God's word and God's commission, it was on the top of a mountain on a high place, and what they were to do, Adam and Eve, from that high place, from the Garden of Eden, on the top of the mountain. They were to come down from the mountain and spread God's word. That's what they were to do. They were to take what they have, what, what they have learned on top of the mountain, bring it down to God's people and spread it to the earth. <clears throat> we see the same story when Moses ascended to the mountain and received the law of God. We can say that when Moses rose up to the mountain to receive the, the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone, he was to take God's word and he was, again, to bring God's word down to the people. And the people were to obey God's word. And what I'm going to argue uh, in the following weeks is just as Adam and Moses ascended on a high place to receive God's word, at Christ's ascension... Christ ascends to a high place and confirms God's word. So there is a link between the prophets, them ascending, receiving God's word, and Jesus Christ ascending to heaven and confirming God's word. But um, as we as we begin to to come to a close, and I uh, I purposely wanted this to be the shortest one that we've done because there's a lot of going on here. And there's a lot of connections that I, I want you to see. Um, and I don't want to be too long because you might lose some of these connections. I want us to see something very interesting in the story of Elijah and Elisha. 
and it's parallel to Christ's ascension, okay? Real quickly. In 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, before Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. So uh, Elijah, he's taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha, who was Elijah's protege, asked for a double portion of the spirit. So Elijah, can you give me a double portion of the spirit? Elijah responds and says that this is this is hard. But it can be done. And the only way that you will receive a double portion of the spirit is if you watch me ascend to heaven. If you watch me ascend to heaven. So Elijah tells Elisha, in order for you to receive this double portion, you must watch me ascend to heaven. As a result, two chariots of fire suddenly separated Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven as Elijah watched. So you can, Elijah, he's caught up in a whirlwind, he's going to heaven, and Elisha is watching Elijah do that. He's watching him go to heaven. While Elijah was taken up into heaven, so imagine Elijah going up to heaven, his cloak dropped. And the Bible says that Elijah took, or Elisha took the cloak, struck the water, and parted it in two. And then we read in 2 Kings 2.15, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So in summary, Elisha asked for a double portion of the spirit. Elijah said it's only possible if you watch me ascend to heaven. Elijah ascends to heaven while Elisha is watching. And we see that the spirit comes upon Elijah Elisha, in a greater measure. This story is very similar to what we see at Christ's ascension. At Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, it says this, and pay close attention to the emphasis on the disciples witnessing Christ ascend. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. Disciples are watching Christ ascend to heaven. And while they were gazing into the heaven as they went, very similar to Elisha, when he was watching Elijah ascend, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you still stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what we see in Acts 2, or what we see in Acts 1 is... These men are sort of like Elisha. And Christ is sort of like Elijah. He ascends on high. And what do we see in Acts 2? In the upper room, the spirit is given in greater measure. And we see Pentecost happen on the day of Pentecost and, the, and Peter's great sermon. So there was, a, there was a great link between Elisha ascending to heaven, the spirit coming down in greater measure, filling Elisha, and Christ ascending to heaven, the disciples watching, and then the Spirit being poured out to the disciples on greater measure. Wonderful and beautiful uh, similarity there. So, uh, in conclusion, <clears throat> what we see is, and what we're going to see in, in a few weeks, is that this threefold office that Christ carries as, as prophet, priest, and king, was uh, specifically the prophet, he extends that office in the church. 
So again, we know that a prophet is to have the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, what is what happens in Acts 2? That Jesus Christ gives to the church the Holy Spirit in greater measure, right? The prophets were to speak the words of God. Well, what does the church do? They speak the words of God. And also, too, the prophets um, were to perform signs and wonders that authenticated their ministry. Well, Jesus Christ, through his church, performs signs and wonders and authenticates our mission. Now, it doesn't mean that we are healing people. It doesn't mean that we are doing the exact same thing that the prophets did of old. But what that means is, in John 14... When Jesus says, you will do greater works. Well, what is that greater works? Well, we will extend the gospel to areas that Christ was limited to. Christ couldn't go to every single place and be in every single place, but we can. And that's the greater work. Is that we've been given the spirit. We've been given his word. To preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we can say this, saints. That we are prophets. That Christ, as the prophet in heaven, he is fulfilling and extending his office of prophethood to us, the church. And we now on earth are the prophets of God. 